Good morning, Twitter. I'm Isaac Fitzgerald, he is Saeed Jones, and you are watching AM to DM. And we really want to get into this first story because to be honest, it's breaking our hearts. Earlier this week, ABC 13 in Houston, Texas tweeted this, have you seen this truck? The sheriff's office released this photo of a truck spotted at the scene of a shooting that killed seven-year-old Jasmine Barnes near an East Harris County Walmart. And last night, BuzzFeed News tweeted, a seven-year-old Texas girl is dead after a man shot into her family's car in what authorities described as an unprovoked attack, prompting an intense search for her killer. As of this morning, that search is still ongoing. BuzzFeed News reporter Claudia Kerner joins us now with the latest. Claudia, good morning. Good morning. All right, so um, at this point, what do we know for sure about what happened that morning? Sure. So uh, the little girl is Jasmine Barnes. She was in the back seat of her mom's car. Her mom was driving her and her three sisters around 6.30, 7 a.m. in the morning to run some errands. They were picking up coffee ahead of a family gathering because this was right around the holidays. Okay. And what do we know so far about the search for the killer? Uh, and, and what do we know about the killer himself? Mm-hmm. Sure. So um, police say that he started shooting unprovoked into their vehicle multiple times. They described him as a white man with a beard in his 40s in a four-door red pickup. And that's really all we know at this point. Wow, I'm just surprised by this because um, with that first tweet we showed, there is an image of the truck. It's a red, I don't know, pickup truck, but we don't have like a license plate or any other identifying information. That's right. And um, authorities are still looking at surveillance video in the area. They're still taking tips from the public, maybe private businesses or people who have their own surveillance cameras that pick something up. Um, So we're hoping we get more information, but right now, no license plate and just that one image. More people coming forward. Do we have any idea at this point what the shooter's motivation was? Uh, We don't. And authorities say they're not ruling anything out at this point. There's been some questions if it could have been uh, racially motivated. Jasmine and her family are black. The gunman was white. Um, But we don't know. And um, it doesn't seem like it was road rage. But again, they're not ruling anything out. Okay. Um, I first found out this story because I saw Ava DuVernay tweeting about it, um, I believe, on New Year's Day. um, And the mother was in a hospital. So is she okay? Were any of Jasmine's sisters who were in the car with her injured as well? Uh, Yes, Jasmine's mother, LaPortia Washington, was shot in the arm. She was in the hospital for a few days, but is now back home. And Jasmine's little sister, a six-year-old girl, uh, was also injured by some shattered glass, but she was also treated and released from the hospital. This is terrifying. Uh, Now, this happened, again, I I believe it was Sunday morning, Mm -hmm. um, almost four days ago. Have the police said anything about, like, are are there expectations that more people will come forward? Um, Four days seems like a long time to still be tracking somebody down. Yeah, so this was a very big story in the Houston area um, for the first part of this week, but now it's really gotten a lot of national attention. And police and Jasmine's family hope that that's only going to be more opportunities for somebody who knows something to come forward. It's a minimal description, but you know, if it's your relative or your coworker, maybe you'll recognize the person. And um, yeah, that's what Jasmine's family's message is, is imagine if this was your daughter, please come forward if you know anything at all. Absolutely. Well, um, Claudia, thank you for covering the story, and thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you.
Another story from BuzzFeed News, a former medical resident at a clinic in Cleveland lost her job last year after anti-Semitic tweets and other social media posts were discovered. BuzzFeed News reporter Lauren Strapagale, who covered this story, joins us now from Toronto. Uh, good morning, Lauren. Good morning. All right, so <laughs> this is wild, even by the standards of what I've gotten used to lately. Um, who is this former medical resident, and what exactly did she tweet? So her name is Laura Klab. She uh, was a medical resident in Ohio. Um, she tweeted some pretty awful anti-Semitic things, uh, things calling Jews stupid or calling for their destruction, uh, tweets comparing Israel to Nazi Germany. But perhaps most offensive, um, and certainly one getting the most attention, is one uh, from, I think, 2011 saying that she would intentionally give Jewish patients the wrong medication. Okay, that's wild and not something you want to have a she, medical so resident? She was bragging about giving patients the wrong medication because they were Jewish. Well, she, we have no indication she actually did it, but she did uh, tweet saying that's something she would do. Okay, it was something she would do. Wow. How are these tweets discovered? So there's this website called Canary Mission, which um, its goal is to call out hate from people, especially, um, say, students and professors. Um, so they look at... Um, say tweets or social media posts are anti-Semitic or white supremacist in nature. And in this case, they found a ton of tweets and messages from Collab and put them all into one post. But I should also mention this website itself is controversial because in addition to calling out hate, they also target pro-Palestinian activists on campuses. Okay, so this is pretty complicated. A lot of angles here. Uh, what did the hospital where she worked say when this, air, um, this news broke? Well, they told me that they were uh, these tweets were brought to their attention last year, and she was placed uh, on leave and left the clinic soon after. So she hasn't actually been working there since September of last year. Okay, so since September of last year, why is this making headlines now? Why is this kind of a story that drew your attention? Yeah, it's interesting. So I think what the what happened is this was picked up by Israeli media, which it looks like prompted the hospital. Chile's actually two statements at the end of the year, one just uh, on December 31st and one the other day. Um, and it just got further kicked up in Western media and has taken off from there. And it's taken off from there. Well, listen, Collab was a graduate of the Toro College of Osteopathic Medicine in New York. And that school tweeted, we are shocked that one of our graduates would voice statements that are antithetical to the Toro and to the physician's Hippocratic Oath. We have received word from the Cleveland Clinic where Dr. Collab was last affiliated and learned that she is no longer employed there. Mm. So like you were saying, Collab is no longer employed at this Cleveland Clinic, but can she still practice medicine? So no, what she has is a training license issued by the state of Ohio, which means she can practice medicine while in an accredited program, such as the one at the Cleveland Clinic. So as long as she's not in a program, she can't actually practice medicine. <laughs> I, this is just so surreal to me. Like, Lauren, as someone who, you know, often covers social news, was there, were there any details or aspect of the story that you found especially surprising or notable that maybe, you know, we might not uh, register with? I think what surprised me most is that, I mean, some of these tweets are fairly old, um, say 2011, 2012, but the fact that she tweeted them at all in this stage is kind of nuts to me. Um, and it's it's also sort of surprising that it's the, the delay between her actual firing and this coming up in the media. That is also interesting because usually these things have a pretty quick news cycle. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I would agree. I did want to ask, has Collab made a statement at all? Mm. Will there be any charges? Is there any way to make charges? Um, like what happens next? 
So the hospital told me there's no indication of any malpractice while she was with the clinic. Um, and we haven't actually been able to get to her not answering the phone and she's deleted all of her social media profiles. So she wants to make a statement. The ball's in her court. All right. The ball is in her court. Well, Lauren, uh, thank you for sharing the story with us and for joining us. Thanks. All right. Well, listen, that's a couple of tough stories to start the day with. <laughs> you is, awake now? <laughs> it is wild out there. But listen, we've got a great show for you. There's a new wave of Congresswomen being sworn in today. And later we'll be talking about Shirley Chisholm's legacy mm. and how she inspired these incredible women that are taking over Congress right now. But up next is Fire Tweets. The ladies are in formation. <laughs> to this day gig. Here's the issue. Uh, my body thinks it's Tuesday. It's not Tuesday? Which I feel like is one of the more challenging days of the work week. I don't know about y'all. But it's Thursday. It is, is Thursday. <laughs> Do you feel a little? I mean, I feel better now. It's like a little. But my body does. It's like my mind. Is, oh, my mind. Definitely. I Until you brought this up, I was like, I think it's Tuesday. Yeah. Tomorrow's Friday. Tomorrow's literally Friday. Plus a three-day work week. Do, uh, okay. Hello? <laughs> Hello? So I want to know, though, what is your most dreaded day of the week? Because, like, Monday, I'm like, oh, I'm into it. But Tuesday's like, huh. But now it's a Thursday. It feels like a Tuesday. Anyway, fire tweets. T- Tuesday's definitely my lag day. Yeah. I'm with you on it's that. It's hard. It's hard. Yeah. Okay. This first fire tweet comes from Chuck. <laughs> or Chuk. Uh, to the teenager that flipped me off for honking at you, your phone is on top of your car. Mmm, justice! Uh-huh. Oh, that feels good. Also, Chuck, I mean, no judgment, Chuck, but, you know, I can see it well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna let you hang yourself out. No, 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 let's talk more about line. leaving stuff on top of your car. <laughs> this is what I wanna ask you, this is what I wanna ask you. Yeah. Let me tell you, obviously a phone, very important thing. Yes. But let's say it's like a cup of coffee, and you're driving. And you, you, you feel it kind of fall. You get out, you yeah, get that? That's kind of funny. You get, do, you, do you jump out and get it? No. <gasps> I don't know. I don't have a car. This is weird. No, I mean, okay. phone. I mean, you know, our phones are expensive now. Cup of coffee. I'm like, just let it roll. <laughs> just, just, just drive just to the nearest car wash. Yeah. All right, but yeah, phone would be bad. <laughs> so, man, you tweeted, Gatorade is a drink for both world-class athletes and hungover drunks who don't know how they got home last night. There's no middle ground. Nobody's drinking Gatorade because their day was fine. You either brought home the state championship or woke up in a state prison. Okay, I had, like, <laughs> Samantha. Listen, when's the last time you picked up a Gatorade just because your day was okay? When's the last time you had lunch and I you guess just it's like ordered always, a Gatorade with it? I guess it's like always like I'm hungover. But Samantha, what kind of prison to pipeline tweet is this? Either you won the state championship or like I'm in Rikers? Yeah. There's no in between? There's think, no like waking up next to your ex or something? She was doing the state, state play. I see oh, what okay. she was going for. Because oh, technically Samantha. you'd really wake up in like a jail or a drunk tank. I'm, not speaking from experience here, but I'm just saying, when's the last time you ordered Gatorade with lunch? That, oh, that's true. I'm Shout out saying. to you. Yeah, yeah, I order vitamin water when I'm just like, I just wanna hydrate a little more. Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this next tweet comes from Callista. I saw this over the break and I'm glad it found its way back to us. Callista, you tweeted, level one, venting by crying. Level 10, venting by faking a conversation with someone in your head. Level 113, venting by creating an intricate alternate universe scenario in your head where you are a celebrity on a talk show dramatically explaining the shit you have been going through. Mm. Everyone does this. I have a question for you. Yes. Because I know you have. (laughs) When you imagine that moment, Uh uh which talk show are you on? Obviously I'm talking to Oprah. 
Okay. Obviously, I'm Ooh, to okay. Obviously, who would you talk to? You know, in in it's Saudi not, Jesse Raphael ain't got shit to say to it's me. It's not who would you talk to. It's who you're absolutely picturing. And for me, for years, it's always been Colbert. Colbert's oh, my go-to. Okay, I can see that. Ooh, I'm famous now, and I'm gonna bitch about my life. I just see him. You know, he'd give you a little like I need, a little love appreciation. He's very charming. Yeah. But I need Oprah. I need her to like the moment where she like reaches across, Ooh. holds your hand. You know, and she's like, when I was hanging out with Maya Angelou in, the, in South Africa. Do you make her tear up a little bit? Oh, story. Ooh. We're crying. She's Ooh. crying. A verklempt Oprah. And it ends with, let the healing begin. Okay. Another chance to get <laughs> it right, Saeed. How many times have you thought Season about Season your this? chicken, Saeed. How many all times? the time. Are you kidding me? All the time. I just assume we all did. All right, Wait, you ready for Tweet of the Day? <laughs> no. <laughs> tweet of the Day comes from Pound Key. Tweeted, you ever parallel park so smooth that you get mad someone wasn't in the car with you? And I was incorrect. That was not tweeted. I was about to say, but I apologize. I but wait, apologize. you ever? That, that I was really loving. Parallel park so much. You. Oh yeah. When you do something really, you want good, someone to you see. You want it. a witness. You like? You wanna... I, I parallel parked like twice in my life. Mm. When I was taking my driver's license test, mm -hmm. and then once like the following day, and I did look up like, was anyone on the sidewalk to witness? I didn't know the theme of today's fire tweets was "Don't get in a car with Saeed Jones," yeah, but that does seem to be the theme. If you didn't already know that, do you remember how to drive? No. There it is. No, my license expired years ago, girl. You don't want oh. to smoke. Okay. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, if we were in an emergency situation, you still couldn't. I, it, it would be like, it, you have, I know you still haven't seen Bird Box, but I'd be the one being like, speed bumps, just a speed bump. You'll figure that out later. <laughs> just a coffee off the top of the car. Speed okay. bump. Okay, now this is the tweet of the day. <laughs> yeah, See, our bodies think it's Tuesday. it's Tuesday. Okay, ready? Bow. This comes from Rory. Uh, Hello, I'm a professor in a movie. I only reach the main point of my lecture right as class is ending. Then I yell at students about the reading and homework as they leave. <laughs> Rory, this is so true, and I'm so embarrassed that your tweet was such a revelation. Mm, mm. Uh, I remember getting to college and being really surprised that's not how it happened every time. Screaming. The screaming. bell's supposed to ring, the kids are supposed to be walking out with their backpacks, and the teacher's like, now do the reading on pages 126 to 138. like, all college classes clearly last a minute and five seconds. <laughs> when you were a teacher, did, when, did you, when did you assign things out? Um, you have to do it at the beginning. You have to do, you have to, or at least 20 minutes, because honey, once the bell rings and stuff, no one's listening to you anymore. Just it's the, over. Just the facts. Let it's me over. ask, do you have a favorite film or television I, I've, professor? I've teacher? prayed on this. Well, obviously Robin Williams, like, you know. Dead Poets Society. Know him. Mm. We grieve. Mm. Um, but I, I, I like this because I feel like her character in the movie, uh, Rachel Chu from Crazy Rich Asians, because oh. she has a full lesson. Yeah. She plays poker. Game theory. She beats the dude, and then she starts yelling at them about the homework. And then <laughs> it comes up in the third act. Know her. Uh, Indiana Jones, buddy. Indiana Jones. A what great did he Archaeology! <laughs> Indiana Jones is an yeah, academic! God! All right, let's okay. take this to the timeline. <laughs> Who is your favorite movie professor or teacher? Let us know using the hashtag AM2. Saeed's never seen Indiana Jones. I've has seen he? Indiana Jones. Same I thought last like name. Anthropology? And no respect. <laughs> Last day. Okay, coming up, I sit down with Tony Award winner Ariel Stachel. But up next, we're going to confront some issues. I love Indiana Jones, and we'll go live from the district. Indiana Saeed <laughs> Jones. <laughs> Thank you.
Okay, Congress, now let's get information. We are going live from the district with BuzzFeed News, Capitol Hill reporter Lisandra Villa. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning, guys. How are you? Good. Doing really good. Let me ask, what's the energy like right there? What's, awesome. How's it feeling there right now today? Uh, today's a very busy day. It's the first day of, of the new Congress, um, and we are in the midst of a government shutdown. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I like it. Put in perspective. The Why highs, not both? The lows. <laughs> well, let's take a look at this tweet from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Si se puede. Lisa, what will those, look at that picture. Just, can we good. bring it up real quick again? It was really good. Look at that picture. I love it. What will these new members expect on today's first day of the new Congress? Well, they can expect, like I said, a very busy day, um, but it's unusual because they are starting, the, uh, the new class is coming in in the middle of a shit show. We have a partial government shutdown right now, um, and they're immediately going to have to vote on, on legislation to, to try to open up the government again. So that is where we are. <laughs> Welcome to the new class. A middle of a shit show. You heard it Welcome here first. Welcome to hell, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Um, what does the swearing-in ceremony look like? Will there be federal workers to do it for them? It's a lot of decorum. Um, so, so actually, as when the day starts, we don't have a speaker of the house right now. Um, so, someone will have to after after the Congress convenes, um, they'll make sure that they have a quorum, and then they will vote on the new speaker of the house. The dean of the house will administer the oath to Nancy Pelosi, who is expected to be elected speaker of the house, and then she will turn around and swear in the rest of the class. Okay, so she'll turn around, she'll swear in the rest of the class. Will there actually be any votes today? Or is it like, hey, that's enough for one day? So like, good talk. <laughs> Democrats are expected to take up legislation immediately to open up the, uh, the government. And that is expected to pass the House. The problem will be that the Senate isn't going to do anything with it because they don't have a deal with uh, Donald Trump yet. And if Donald Trump isn't going to sign something, then the Senate isn't going to take it up. So it's kind of going to be dead on arrival. But Democrats are going to do everything to show that, hey, they're here and they want to get the government open. Right. So they're like, we have control of the House. We're doing everything we can. The ball's in your court. To wit... Here is a tweet from our own Tarini party. Trump allies are pushing for him to keep digging in on the wall funding on day 12 of the partial shutdown. In Trump's own words, what the hell do you have to lose? So what is the logic? What does Trump stand to gain from, you know, doing that thing where he like just crosses his arm and sits with his legs really wide and chairs as people talk? The logic is that it's the beginning of 2019, so 2020 is still really far away. The government is already shut down, so why cave now? Um, let me ask you this. I, I saw the meeting yesterday. We talked about it on the show. Mm -hmm. Trump had a poster on the table that looked a lot like a promo for Game of Thrones. Shout out to Game of Thrones coming out this year. <laughs> what was going on there? Yeah, I, I don't know why that poster got pulled out then, but I did see this hilarious tweet. Um, as you mentioned, it's a Game of Thrones spoof, and uh, the wall ends up having issues in later seasons. Um, so I thought it was really funny because um, the, the Trump is actually trying to get a real border wall built. So Yeah, Lisa, I'm right there with you. It seemed like a weird case to be made, like, hey, walls work, because that's what he kept saying they, yesterday. They it was like the don't. main statement of his argument. Super don't. And it's like, yeah, ask uh, I'm trying to remember the name Literally of the Literally anyone. No, but I meant the country <laughs> the game. The fictional characters? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dang, I can't remember it either.
Man, we got a recap it's on that. It's been a long time. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for joining us. Jon Snow, God damn. Oh my God, <laughs> all right. Thanks, Lisa. <laughs> Here's a tweet from Kate Nocera. True love deemed non-essential during a government shutdown. That's because, sorry, I was drinking water. That's because <laughs> right now, you can't get married in Washington, D.C., alas. Uh, Zoe Tillman, who broke the story, joins us now. Zoe, good morning. Good morning, guys. So you mean to tell me, if I was in Washington, D.C. today, and I had finally found the man of my dreams, I would not be able to get married? Why? That's right. Um, so a lot of people don't realize that even though D.C. has a city council, it's had home rule since the 1970s, there are still a lot of vestiges of the days when Congress and the federal government controlled the operation of the, the nation's capital. And one of those is that our local court system, the court system that runs the Marriage Bureau, where you get a marriage license, is still federally funded. And so when the shutdown took effect last month, the D.C. court system, like other federal agencies, had to implement a shutdown plan. And for them, that meant deeming you know, certain offices non-essential, the library, for instance, um, their child care, child care center in the, the courthouse, um, and also the marriage bureau. So right now, if you want to get married in the District of Columbia, which you need a license to do, you can't because you can't get a license. I'm like, wait a second, forget marriage. What's this about the library? But it, I, okay, <laughs> I, I was like, hang on a second. Forget RuPaul love. said the library was open. I'm, let me ask you this though: you did actually the library at the courthouse. DC libraries are open, to my knowledge. I don't want to send anyone away from the library. And can I interject? This is why we stand Zoe Tillman because you and I are actor acting a damn fool, and she's like clarity, knowledge, truth. Thank you, Zoe. <laughs> Much appreciated. <laughs> For your piece, though, you did talk to a couple mm -hmm. who were unable to get their marriage license two days before their wedding. What's their story? Yeah, so um, Danielle Giannakopoulos and Dan Pollock, who are ironically two former Senate staffers who had gone through shutdowns before, but they told me they didn't realize um, that local D.C. services might be affected. So they were back from uh, New York, where they live now, back in D.C., ready to get married, very excited went to the courthouse a couple of days before to get their license, which is how a lot of couples do it. Um, they walked in and they were promptly turned around. A court volunteer uh, basically said to them, you're not getting a license today. And they walked back out um, and Dan Pollock tweeted a picture of them sort of laughing in front of the courthouse. And they even made up a new hashtag called uh, my big fake Greek wedding because they were going to have the ceremony, um, but it wasn't going to be legal until the marriage bureau reopened. Wow. Well, <laughs> we wish them the best on their fake matchup. <laughs> to wit, can you get divorced? Of course that's your you question. You most certainly can. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you most certainly can. Um, the uh, intake center at DC Superior Court for Family Court, which handles divorce complaints, is open. I called yesterday to make sure of that. Um, they have limited staff, but yes, if, if it hasn't you know, gone well, you're, you're free to get divorced. You just and, can't and I mean, and, and get to, married. To follow through on this, because you are a justice reporter, does this mean that someone in the federal government decided marriage is non-essential, but divorce is? Is that how that works? <laughs> it means that um, the, the 
officials at D.C. Superior Court um, made a determination that the Marriage Bureau, and I should say they did this in 2013 during the last shutdown. This is not something new to this shutdown, um, but they made a determination. You know, the court is open, so you can still get arrested. You can still get charged. You can still go to jail. You can still go to court. Um, but in the to maintain the functions of the court, when you have to scale back other resources, they had to make a determination of, you know, what is truly essential for instance, our criminal justice system, and what is not. And in this case, they decided that the Marriage Bureau was not. All right, that was a very factual answer, but I love the idea of just the Grinch up there being like, (laughs) you know what, no marriages, only divorces, no marriages. Obsessed. Now, now Zoe, you did the story, you did the follow-through, it was so great. Has the mayor's office responded? They have. Um, So Mayor Muriel Bowser, her office put out a statement last night saying that the mayor is going to propose some kind of, quote, emergency legislation to provide authority to issue marriage licenses. We're not really sure how that's going to work, and they haven't provided any details on that. Um, You know, the city council can make laws about issues affecting the court and the function of the justice system, but they don't manage the court or have any oversight of it in the way um, that other local jurisdictions would of their local justice system because of this weird funding situation, um, but the mayor's office tells me that in the coming days they'll have more information on this, assuming there's still a shutdown and folks still can't get married. All right. Well, the fight for legal love in D.C. continues. Zoe, thank you so much for this great story and for coming on the show. Thanks, guys. Oh, my God. Oh, this also reminds me. Oh, my God. Guys, (laughs) wait. Until yesterday, Isaac and I didn't know that the word fiancé is gendered. Remember? Yeah, I remember. You were I'm on one. Shook. <laughs> if, listen, by all means, if you knew this, but fiance, because we were like, how do you spell it? Uh, uh, two E's, one E's. It's too easy if it's a woman. That's right. One E if it's a man. That's <gasps> shook. A gendered word. And there are a whole bunch of fiancés in Washington, D.C. right now. Okay, nope. up next, we are going to be talking to the author of My Sister, the Serial Killer. It's a good book. It is really good. <laughs> it's a dark time. Welcome back. I'm Tomi Obaro, BuzzFeed News Senior Editor. This month, BuzzFeed Book Club is reading My Sister, the Serial Killer. And today, I am joined by the author, Oikon Brathwaite. Hi, Oikon. Hi. So this book is described as a short, darkly funny hand grenade of a novel about a Nigerian woman whose younger sister has a very inconvenient habit of killing her boyfriends. How did you come up with this concept? Um. So a long time ago, I I was researching on the Black Widow spider mm-hmm. and I, you know, I read up on the spider and found out that the female spider, when she um, when she mates with the male spider, if she happens to be hungry afterwards, she and the male spider is still hanging around, she will eat him. Mm-hmm. And um, it made a huge impression on me. I thought it was hilarious. So I kind of. From then on, I used to play with the concept every once in a while. I have like two poems that kind of touch on it. Mm-hmm. And um, then it went into my prose and eventually this book. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how did you decide or why did you decide to make them to focus on two sisters as opposed to like two animals? Um, well, you know, in a, it's that's an interesting question because the first time I played with the idea, I did it was actually a spider, and um, the poem was about the black widow spider. Mm-hmm. But then, um, I guess you know what really struck me about 
what was going on was this idea of a woman killing men and doing it in such a like you know it wasn't as if the female had anything against the male or the male tried to attack her or anything like that it was just a means of survival um and she also happened to be the stronger bigger creature and it's it was interesting to me so i think i wanted to play with that in um in human in human terms i don't know how to say that but i wanted to i wanted to try it with humans and see you know how it would play and um i didn't the first time i played with it it wasn't with sisters actually but um i guess i wanted to in this particular book i wanted to make it a little bit domestic and just a part of almost everyday life and see how that played mm. So along those lines, I mean, the book is also set in Lagos in Nigeria. Can you talk about why you decided to, to set it there? Um, yeah, so initially, I think I just started setting my stories in Nigeria because um, um, for a while I, I just didn't. So, um, you know, I started doing that and becoming more comfortable with it. And when I was choosing the story at first, I was a bit hesitant because I thought, would it work here? You know, would that kind of story work here? I hadn't really seen that sort of story here before um and also I wasn't sure how other Nigerians would react to the book what they would think about it um but as once I started it it worked and most especially because um you know the like I like it said in the book crime here you know the investigations and things like that it's not clear cuts it you know uh, people get away with crimes and I just kind of thought that actually it works here because it is that the story works because it is set in in Nigeria it might be less believable in the states it might be less mm. believable in London or whatever but it works because it's in Lagos Nigeria mm. yeah and so this is your first novel what was the writing process like for you um well it's my first published novel it's not my it's not the first novel I've ever written I just didn't do anything with the others um but it was so I mean it wasn't my first time writing a novel, so I was a little bit comfortable with you know I kind of knew what it would take mm -hmm. um, but I didn't initially mean for this to be a novel and I um, and I broke it up the way the chapters are is exactly the way I wrote it I wrote it in those little sort of bits mm -hmm. and um, you know I didn't do a lot of looking back um, or concerning to, I didn't concern myself too much also about where it was going to go or how it was going to end. I I just kind of um, enjoyed the process and enjoyed getting to know Corede and Ayola and trying to figure out how they would both manage their situation. How long did it take you to write the novel? Um, the first, very first draft took about a month, but like um, it was a lot smaller then. Um, and, you know, once the publishers came on board and, you know, I was working with two editors, um, so that took another, you know, seven or so months. Okay. So if this movie was, if this book was optioned as a movie, like who would be your, your dream cast to play Cordan Ayola? Um, well, <laughs> um, well, I mean, working title optioned it, um, but I don't. I'm not really particular so much about um, who plays the role. I think it would be nice to see someone one hadn't seen before. Um, I, I sort of get tired of seeing like the same actors and actresses over and over again. So it would be nice to see a new face. I think it would be a good opportunity to 
a gift um, or, or maybe a face that hasn't, even if they're acting already, they haven't become really like popular. Mm-hmm. Um, so long as they're, they're kind to the accents, because I know, I mean, it's it can be really weird yeah, hearing people true. do Nigerian accents and it just sounds wrong. Yeah. Thank you so much again, Oyukon. Congratulations. Uh, My Thank Sister the Serial Killer is available now in bookstores and online. Check out BuzzFeedBookClub.com to read it along with BuzzFeed Book Club this month. Up next, the star of the band's visit, Ario Spatial, is here. Stay tuned. We already deep into our conversation. All right, I am joined by the star of the band's visit on Broadway, Tony Award-winning actor Ariel Stachel. Hello. What's up? Hello. Let's get into this tea. You rode a city bike here. I rode a city bike here. Uh, (laughs) I live close. Okay. I live close, and I thought that I would be able to drop it off. So I went to the Union Square, and it was completely full. And then I went to, like, 20th and Park, and it was completely full because people are, I guess, scared of riding it when it's cold. Oh, that's true. And so then I was like, this is live, so I'm I'm just going to... Bring it to the building and see if they Did can hold it for me. I just rolled up. <laughs> so wait, there's a city bike like in there's front a city of bike right now in like the storage room <laughs> of this building. Um, Do you ride them everywhere? I ride them everywhere. Okay. This is I not a, necessarily. The, a and I'll tell you why. Yeah. I, I ride them everywhere because I love being able to like travel through space mm-hmm. and see everything as opposed to the subway where you're sort of oh, in okay. a dark hole and then you're up and you've missed like That's all right. of what's happening. I will tell you like the three times I've taken the bus because mm-hmm. buses make me nervous. I always make- <laughs> miss my stop. It is nice that you can see where you're going. I yeah. that. Yeah, I just love being able see to see the neighborhood. Be above ground. All right, tea. So many sort of like textures and, and different flavors God. of neighborhoods. I know, I'm getting We've got to have more stage actors. We've got to start stage actors. Textures. <laughs> well, I do want to talk about the band's visit. Because yeah. it's, just, it's beautiful and wonderful. Yeah. Um, on the, show, um, the show's opening night, this mm-hmm. is something you tweeted. Um, this is my family after arriving to Israel from Yemen. Tonight I opened my first Broadway show. Congratulations. Mm. This is for them. I know they would be proud that I continue their legacy fighting for peaceful coexistence between Jews and Arabs, or in our case, Jews of Arab descent. And of course, that was a little over a year ago. How do you feel? How do I feel now? It's sort of, uh, it's been a transformative experience, um, being able to sort of showcase um, my race in in two ways. I mean, I, I, a lot of people don't know this about Jews, but there's a lot of Jews who came from Arab countries. My my family's background is in Yemen. And so being able to sort of showcase um, Middle Eastern cultures, I talked about this a lot throughout the last year, has been the most rewarding thing for me ever. Um, and, and I've spoken about this as well. It's really allowed me to sort of accept myself. I felt really stigmatized and weird as a Middle Eastern kid. Like, I felt like, what am I allowed to do? Can I play basketball? Can I? Right. So it's sort of freed me to accept all parts of myself and realize that I can exist as me, proudly as a Middle Eastern person. And... Yeah. People embrace it. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, and you spoke about this in mm-hmm. your Tony Award-winning acceptance speech. Yeah. Congratulations again um, about you know nine eleven and, and the way that that changed and and changed your identity. I remember, I am not of Muslim or uh, Middle Eastern descent, but right. Saeed, of course, right. is. Right. And I remember after nine eleven being in a classroom and seeing the name Saeed appear, you know, on the list of list of terror suspects. Right. And and that feeling. Right. Um, and suddenly everyone knew how to say my name for the first time ever. Right. <laughs> and not not in an, in a nice way. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, and you're like, sort of, oh my goodness. And so what, what is that experience? I mean, going from, you know, that um, experience, 9-11 in the United States mm-hmm. to now when we talk about Middle Eastern identity, um, and then now you're doing this play. I, I just, 
it's it's really rewarding to show people another side that they probably haven't seen in the media, right? So there's so many shows, and particularly when, when a tragedy like 9-11 happens, right. people are going to sort of showcase those stories, a lot mm -hmm. of terrorists who are Middle Eastern, um, to show the other side of it, mm -hmm. to have a character that's completely not political, right. um, has, I think, changed the way that people who may have had fear of people of this background, mm -hmm. I think they see them in a different way. Mm -hmm. I hope so. Um, Here's a funny story, which, okay. which this surprised me when we did it off-Broadway. Mm -hmm. I've never really felt, quote-unquote, sexy growing up. I just didn't even, Gee. I didn't think about it. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. like, as a person, I'm like, I'm not a white dude. Like, I just felt unsexy. And I left the show once, and an older white woman looked mm -hmm. at me. And she said, I thought you were so sexy. And it shocked me mm. because I'd never felt attractive. Mm. To, to women because of, that, that was because like of my Hollywood race. Archetype. Right, I just mm -hmm. didn't see representations of myself. And mm -hmm. so... And your character's a big flirt. My character's a big flirt, but I, just, I, I still felt like we're seen as such outsiders uh -huh. that even within that world, even me being a flirt in that race wouldn't translate to people feeling and sensing my humanity. And they were able to. And that was like one of the coolest sort of life-changing sort of vantage point shifting kind of moments. And that's interesting, because I know, you, you know you've know you been with the show a lot in a lot right. of its iterations, right. and you, you auditioned a lot. And right. so what is it like when you don't have an archetype for, okay, this I'm about to play a very flirty character, right. I don't feel this way. Did the process of learning about the character, auditioning, and then taking it to the stage kind of act upon you? It's a, it's a really good question. So I think the thing is, when I first auditioned, I really was thinking of it as an archetype, mm. and I wasn't really digging deep. I, I auditioned seven times over nine okay. months, and so by the seventh audition, something needs to change, okay. <laughs> right? Like, you're going in that many times. And what I realized was I had to sort of take away all of my prejudices mm -hmm. about what I could do with this role, mm -hmm and sort of trust that my actual instinct as a human being mm -hmm. can be the foundation for this character. And then you add an accent, and mm -hmm. then you do all of those other things, mm -hmm. but the foundation needs to be human being. Mm -hmm. And that is, again, as, I'm, as I said to you sort of throughout this interview, is what sort of helped me to understand that I could be my full self mm -hmm. within my race. Mm -hmm. That this guy that I think is different because he's Egyptian is actually just like me, and we're all people. And and I think that's the message of the show. I think so too, I think yeah. so too. Um, of course, also Tony Shalhoub. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, we love Tony Chalupa. Yes, we do. Um, so we can't talk about him enough. Let's see. What do we want to ask? What is something um, you've gotten to know about Tony Chalupa from working with him that it, we might not know? It, it's really funny you should ask. Like, that. does Tony Chalupa know he's sexy? Does he know he's sexy? <laughs> I don't know. He he's very he's very quirky. Mm -hmm. Ironically, I watched Mrs. Maisel this morning before I came here. I'm not kidding. First season or second season? A first season. I'm on. I'm on episode seven. T T Z. Right. Yes. And I there was this thing that he always did that made his characters look so alive. I don't know if you can see my hands out there but he always sort of shifts his hands it's sort of a way of keeping his character alive that man acts with every fiber of his body wow mm, that's what i learned from working okay. with him it's always alive it's very very specific he's just sort of a master um is he intense like casually because sometimes people who are very great actors are intense constant. or is he like that you know when you're like getting coffee or something no you know what i find like Actors who are successful, like someone like him, or good actors, they are as different as anyone else's. Like, he's just sort of a very low-key, kind of shifty guy. He, he's really good at bringing sort of his actual personality traits into mm -hmm. characters that he plays, so... Um, he's, he's just amazing. He's just it. amazing, and he's very, very humble, and I'm so happy that on his fourth try, he got a Tony Award. <laughs> Justice. Yeah. He's like the Susan Lucci of the Tony. I know, right? Uh, okay, one more question, because yeah, your character please. is a big flirt mm -hmm. uh, in the play. Uh, 
cheesiest pickup line you've ever used or heard or heard and wanted to use? Or that I've actually used? Yeah. Or that I've actually you can, used. I'm trying to give you all kinds of options <laughs> Cheesiest here. Cheesiest one? Do you sure. want me to do it? Okay, it's really, really bad. Oh, but I'm I've so, done this. I'm so excited. <laughs> Let's say me and you get out of these wet uh-huh. clothes. <laughs> Get out! You like Get that one. You never heard that. You no, never heard that one. I am not. I am not. Yeah, no, yeah. I have. Ariel Stachel. Thank, Thank you for so that. Much. Incredible. Okay, obviously everyone needs to go see the band please come, on Broadway. Please come. Meet them at the stage door and be yeah. like, T, you know, and then you can do the pickup line. Tea, I love it. T, T, T. <laughs> Up next, we're going to be talking about the legacy of Shirley Chisholm. So excited about that. <laughs> Senator Kamala Harris tweeted, Shirley Chisholm created a path for me and so many others. She's one of the reasons I am serving the people of California in the United States Senate today. Joining me now to talk about Shirley Chisholm, who started her first term as the first black woman in Congress 50 years ago today, is the director of the Shirley Chisholm Project, Dr. Zinga Frazier. Doctor, good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm like really excited. Like we've got a Congress that doesn't look like any other Congress before. It's kind of exciting. Yes, it is extremely exciting. Shirley Chisholm would be overwhelmed. Would be overwhelmed. Yes. So let, let's talk about her first day though. Back 1969, what was today like for Shirley Chisholm? It was an awkward moment for her. Mm. It was an awkward moment being the only black woman in Congress, not sure about her alliances and connections to her colleagues. Mm. Um, and it was an important time for her to represent her district. To represent her district. Let me ask, how was she received uh, you know, on the Hill in general, but even by her own party? So she, it was a lukewarm reception. Mm. And it not only was a lukewarm reception because of her being the first black woman in Congress, but because she was such an outspoken congressional member. Uh, outspoken about? Outspoken about specifically the status quo, politics, mm-hmm. specifically around people who were in power. Mm. Um, she was against the Vietnam War. She really despised the current president mm-hmm. that we can kind of see reminiscences of today. And so many people weren't really sure if she was going to tell the party line mm. of her alliances with the Democratic Party mm-hmm. and if she was really going to be an outsider or, or an insider. Kind of one of those situations where they're like, hey, you got in the door, now please be quiet. Yes. Yeah, I understand that. And she wasn't. (laughs) And and she was not. So what was, like, the first item on her agenda? I mean, well, the first item on her agenda was to get off of the committee that they were assigning to her. They assigned Shirley Chisholm to the Forestry uh, Agricultural Committee and representing a marginalized impoverished constituency in Bedford-Stuyvesant, Chisholm was vehemently against that committee assignment. Okay, so she was like, why are you even putting me on this? Did she accomplish that goal? Uh, what She really, at first she did not accomplish mm. that goal. They did not take her off the committee assignment for um, agriculture in the beginning. And what she did was she was a public advocate against seniority, and that's mm. a big no-no mm-hmm. in politics. And so what she did was she tried to make that committee work for her. And what she did was she expanded the uh, federal assistance aid in terms of uh, funding for food stamps Mm -hmm. and expanded the WIC program, specifically in terms of giving appropriations and money to women and children. Wow, that's incredible. And again, reflections of today with her kind of being like, listen, just because I'm first term doesn't mean I can't get shit 
done. Exactly. I did want to ask, did, did like the world recognize what an incredible moment was that the first black woman was now in Congress? Yes. I mean, there was a, a spotlight wherever she was. Mm. And that, in many ways, was great for her. It catapulted her career. She was a nationals uh, person by then. But it also... Uh, took aback a number of her colleagues, right? Mm. Um, because there was so much shine. Um, and in many ways, there was a lot of shade given to Chisholm <laughs> during that time. Shine from way outside, yep. people around her a little more shady. Yeah. I get that 100%. Well, listen, The Root tweeted, Amazon Studios has acquired the rights to the fighting Shirley Chisholm, and they have announced that Oscar, Golden Globe, Tony, and Emmy Award-winning actress Viola Davis will not only star in the title role, but help produce the film as well. I, it's crazy to me that this movie's... I mean, I'm so stoked the movie's being made, but it's yeah. crazy that it's just happening now. Why do you think it took so long? I think it, in a number of ways it's, it's convincing Hollywood the importance of looking at a black woman in politics during the 1960s. Mm. I mean, there are a number of other projects underway, so Viola Davis may be one of the f one of the few who are producing, but there are other people who are producing um, films as well for Chisholm. Uh, all right, well, listen, in case Viola Davis does uh, watch <laughs> this right now, yeah. do you have any, like, tips how to get it authentic, how to get it right? I mean, it, it requires a significant amount of historical backgrounds and analysis, and we really hope that people stay true to Chisholm's advocacy, mm. that the issues that she spoke about to infuse that into a depiction of who she was and also have a nuanced understanding. She wasn't just a kind of boring congressional member. She was someone who was on fire. Mm. She was love dance. She was, you know, a full of life. And we want that to kind of depict her life. So vibrant, but also pay attention to the policies yes. she was actually trying to she pass. She was a serious woman. All right. Well, listen, Reverend Dr. Barber, who's been on the show as well, uh, he tweeted... Remember Shirley Chisholm, she said she did not want to be remembered as the first black congresswoman, but as one who had guts. I pray the new members will have guts in 2019. Exactly. Like we were saying, today has a lot of firsts, all right? Yeah. We've got, um, I'm, I'm so sorry, we've got Ayanna Presley, yes. all right? Yes. First black woman from Massachusetts. Like there's so many firsts today. Yeah. So do you see Chisholm's legacy reflected in what's happening right now? I think not only is it reflective in terms of being the first, but you really have women who are so outspoken, who were not, Ayanna Presley was not supported by the Democratic Party mm -hmm. in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And so you see a number of women who are who are on Congress and in Capitol Hill now, who are taking the lead of Shirley Chisholm, mm -hmm. being on board and on boss, thinking about the ways in which they can change politics and to represent the people who not only put them there, but to represent a larger group of marginalized and disenfranchised voters. Who are now getting a voice. One other thing about Presley, and, and we, Presley came in, had her on the show, um, I hear she's getting Chisholm's old office? office. Old office. Yeah. And this isn't so much a question, just kind of like, how cool is that? That's amazing. The <laughs> karma in the space. The, as, as a former congressional staffer for the district that Chisholm represented, having the having the aura of Shirley Chisholm to be in that space mm, is an amazing thing. That is an amazing thing. Well, thank you so, so much for coming on the oh, show and talking to us this morning. Up next, Saeed and I are going to read some more of your tweets. Thank you Thanks. so much. We asked you who your favorite movie professor or teacher is, and Lily says, does Professor Dumbledore count as a movie professor? It's either him or Indiana Jones for me. I, that's fair. Well, negligent.
I think they definitely count. Both negligent. Yes! You both, <laughs> it works. <laughs> yeah, first of all, when was Indiana Jones in the classroom? Not often. He, wa- he was, not often. He wasn't going to his office hours. He, he, he has literally, no- There's literally a scene where he does his office hours. Mm-hmm. He does jump out the window though. Okay. He see, does escape see. the students. Okay. Jump out and Dumbledore got a lot of people killed. <laughs> a lot of people killed. But still counts as a movie Justice professor. for Professor Snape. Okay. Uh, Christine okay. shared <laughs> this gift of Mr. Finney from Boy Meets World. I'm going to need to see it. To... Oh, Mr. Feeney, I believe. I believe. Were you a Boy Meets World kind of guy? I watched it a bit, but clearly not close enough. Did you like him? Was he good? Was he good I think guy? he is. I, I have not, I'm not familiar with the program, but I believe he was like a good father figure. Oh, like, okay. He, he oh, program. I thought you meant the academic program. <laughs> <laughs> I was not enrolled in Dr. Finney's classes I didn't myself. get a chance to look at the syllabus. <laughs> Jolie had this to say from our Live from the Districts, about our Live from the District segment. Reasons I love AM to DM and BuzzFeed News. Journalists unafraid to say new Congress members are coming into the middle of a shit show. And shout out to Lisa for that Ooh. one. I actually, just talking to Dr. Frazier, I literally opened with like, what a historic day. And the cameras weren't rolling yet. She's like, yeah, I mean, yeah, highs and lows. I mean, I was thinking, I was talking with someone about this the other night. I've been thinking about, and I hope this does not bear out, but I've been thinking about the glass cliff, right? Mm. Where like often women, women of color, people of color, but usually women, um, are not given opportunities to lead until things are like you're on a cliff, right? Mm-hmm. And like, this it, this feels like one of those scenarios where it's like, I don't think it's totally disconnected that Congress has become this like immovable, can't get literally shut down kind of force right as like, you know, all of these new uh, Congress people, many of them women of color and historic first, all kinds, you know, coming in. So it'll be like, swear in and uh, bye, see you later. I'm gonna be so. optimistic. It's a glass cliff, but they're gonna build a bridge. It's gonna be like, a, not a glass bridge, maybe like ropes. a ropes. Yeah, some shout ropes. Out. Okay, mm-hmm. shout out to you, yeah. scaffolding. <laughs> I like that. A little scaffold. Day three of 2019. He's still hopeful. I'm already a little shaky. <laughs> All right. Blasian FMA had this to say about my sit down with Ariel Stachel, who is so sweet and charming. Um, whew, the band's visit is as beautiful as he is. Mm. That's a nice compliment. Um, yeah. Well, th- I thought that was very nice for him to kind of talk about what it meant to be like, oh, wait, I'm attractive. And yeah, like, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's it's really great in that nuance. And it's been really fun. Obviously, I hope you guys are noticing that we are talking to a lot of Broadway actors, and it's really fun. It's kind of a different kind of conversation, because as he mentioned, you know, he auditioned for that piece seven times over the course of nine months. It was like Mm. off-Broadway and then Broadway. So these are people who have been with these pieces for a long time and have like really thought it through and performed every night. And really, again, like really brought their heart and soul to it. That said, I'm not going to also mention that he sure did lick his finger, touch your clothes, and say, hey, those clothes are wet. Let's get out of them. You made it back to stage. I just figured I was going to do this part by myself. I thought you were going to be out. You're going to blush you so hard that I your th- head exploded. <laughs> I was so flustered because I thought he was going to do the like thing, and I was uh-huh. like, "Whoa, that's you're oh 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 okay." The band has visited. Anyway, <laughs> the band has visited. Thank you to our guests: Claudia Kerner, Lauren Strapagale, Lisandra Via, Zoe Tillman, Ariel Stachel, Owen Khan, Braithwaite. What a wonderful book! What a that wonderful cool. conversation! Dr. Zinga Fraser, and of course, Tommy Obaro. <laughs> Woo! I'm gonna go stop blushing. We will be back tomorrow, which is. Friday! Oh, shit, it's Friday! I truly almost said Wednesday. I truly almost said Wednesday. I was like, come on. I know, sorry. Friday, Friday. Friday. Friday.